want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 this morning, Matthew chapter 6. I left off before I was in the hospital in the Sermon on the Mount. I will finish that um, in the next couple of weeks. Sermon on the Mount, and we find ourselves this morning at Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, and let me read that passage. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I don't think fasting is a real big issue here in the United States at this time. I would say probably I think feasting is is more what we do. We don't do too much fasting. For most of us, uh, what Jesus is talking about in verses 16... 17 and 18 would be uh, in our normal spiritual disciplines would be as common as if we uh, uh, went on and put a purple robe and were selling incense at the LAX airport. That's just not something we do on a regular basis. But I don't think we should quickly pass by these words. The reason I say that is if you'll notice the context Jesus says he's talking about spiritual disciplines. He talks about giving. We know the importance of that. He talks about uh, the spiritual discipline of what? Of praying. And then he talks about the spiritual discipline of fasting. He connects them all together. So whether or not it's not something that's practiced within our culture or it seems like something, oh, they did that years ago, we cannot quickly neglect the words that Jesus does, speaks about because he connects them with things that we think are very important. Giving and prayer and fasting. They're kind of common for people who believe in the Lord. Okay. Now the context is, as I said, in all of chapter 6, Jesus begins talking about practicing your spiritual disciplines. And he mentions... um, giving and praying, and he says, now you shouldn't do these things, these kind of things, the way the hypocrites do, because the reason they do them is to be what? Be noticed by men, to be honored by men. We, and we covered that when we last were together in this passage. He's following through on this same idea when he goes to verses 16 and 18, because he's talking about the same thing. He's saying, and when you fast, don't do it as the hypocrites do, because they are only really interested in being noticed by men. And uh, if they get the reward from men, they get no reward from the Father. So it's the same same context. Now, in Isaiah 58, the people of Isaiah's day, they were fasting, but they, they were saying, you know, it doesn't seem like you're responding at all, Lord, to what we're doing. And so the Lord speaks to Isaiah... And Isaiah comes back and he has a message to them. Um, And I think that this passage in Isaiah 58, 
kind of fills in and leaves off where Jesus doesn't give us some specific direction. Now, if you notice in chapter 6, he talked about how to give. He talked about how to pray. But he doesn't give a lot of information in the New Testament, at least, not here. And there's not too much information given on fasting. But in Isaiah 58, in the inspired scriptures, in the Hebrew text, it gives some very specific things that are very helpful to understand the kind of fast that's pleasing to God, the kind of fast that would grant him the reward that we seek. So what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to turn to Isaiah 58, and we're going to look at three important facts about fasting. Now, this is an unusual message. You don't hear a lot of messages uh, on fasting. But I thought since Jesus said that we shouldn't disregard this thing, maybe it would be important just to touch on this subject this morning. So there's 14 verses in Isaiah 58, and let's read the first four together. Let me read and follow along with me. Cry loudly, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, and declare to my people their transgression, and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day and delight to know my ways, as a nation that has done righteousness, has not forsaken the ordinance of their God, they ask for just decisions, they delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted and you do not see? We have humbled ourselves and you do not notice. I'm saying, there's the problem. They're saying, hey, listen, we're fasting, but what's the deal? We don't see any response from you, God. He goes on and he answers their question. He says, behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. First fact we see in verses one through four, God's chosen fast is not to be occasioned by these. What do I mean? Well, it's a negative. He says, when you fast, put these things aside. Don't be doing these things. And there are three of them. Did you notice? Second half of verse three and four. There's three things that the Lord says, listen, when you're fasting, you might want to put these aside. Let's take a look at them. Three of them. Latter half of verse three. He says, behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire. What does that mean? Find your desire. In other words, there was no letting go. There was no letting go. It was all about what they wanted. It was all about what they wanted and desired. What they thought was best. In other words, they were talking about the here and now. He goes on. He says, and you drive hard all your workers. It was business as usual. It was business as usual. It wasn't a special day. It was just business as usual. Their workers still had to go to work. It wasn't a a special day. All they did was stop eating. That's all they did. They were just stopping eating. He goes on. And behold, you fast for contention and strife to strike with a wicked fist. Their motive was to get even. Their motive was to win over those who opposed them. Their motive was to take advantage of those that they were having trouble with. 
To sum up, it was all about the here and the now. It was not, even as the latter part of verse 4 says, to make your voice heard on high. The focus is what on what they were going through here on this earth and the troubles that they were having and not trying to make their voice heard on high. Now, it's interesting. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable of, about a Pharisee and a tax collector. You remember that? Tax collector, they go up to the temple and pray. Let me read that passage. It's Luke 18, because it's such a perfect example, I couldn't pass by it. Luke 18. Now notice who he's talking to. And he says, and he, that is Jesus, this is verse 9 of Luke 18, told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Here's the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week, and I pay tithes of all that I get. Notice what's going on here. Notice that he was talking to people, he was telling this parable, who were trusting in themselves that they were self-righteous and held others with contempt. In our passage here, it talks about, in verse 9, about people who go about when they're fasting and pointing fingers at people and looking down on them. In his prayer in, in Luke 18, he was confirmed. He was confirming that he wasn't focused on, on making his voice heard on high. As a matter of fact, in Luke 18, it says he was praying to who? To himself. <laughs> he was praying to himself. His whole focus was on himself and the tax gatherer as opposed to trying to make his voice heard on high. His fasting was, he just stopped eating for a couple of hours. Just stopped eating. He's a classic example of what Isaiah was talking about. This ties directly to what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 6. Being seen and noticed by men. His whole focus was on himself and what he was doing. Fasting is an outward act, but it's practiced with an attitude that's focused on God. It's almost like baptism. Baptism is an outward act, amen? But just taking a bath is really meaningless. (laughs) It's just not getting wet. It's just not taking a bath. That's missing the whole point of getting baptized. It's the same thing with taking the Lord's table, amen? Amen? Uh, eating a piece of unleavened bread and drinking a little uh, grape juice is somewhat meaningless unless it's tied to what's going in your heart, unless it's tied to what your relationship with the Lord. And so God's chosen fast, he says in Isaiah 58, is don't do these things. Don't do these things. Put aside those things that he's mentioning. Finding your own desire. Driving hard your own work. You fast for contention strife. It's really against everything 
that fasting is about. You know, there's sometimes, in some places, there's just some things you shouldn't do. Have you seen that? It spoils the whole moment. Have you ever seen that in in your life? I came across a, a story about a man and a woman who were shopping at their local Walmart. And the husband picked up the case of Budweiser and he put it in their cart. And the wife said, what do you think you're doing? He says, well, they're on sale. It's only $10 for 24 cans. She said, well, put them back. We can't afford them. So he put them back and they went on to their shopping. A few aisles later, the woman picked up a $20 jar of face cream and put it in the basket. And he said, what are you doing? She said, it's my face cream. It, may, it makes me look beautiful. Her husband retorts, so do 24 cans of Budweiser and it's half the price. <laughs> <laughs> on the PA system it says, clean up on aisle 25. <laughs> there are some times you just need to put aside some things. Whether it's talking to your husband or your wife, or saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. And Isaiah says, you know, when you're fasting, it's more than just stopping eating. You need to put some things aside. Okay. Now, he goes on. It's not all negative, though. In the balance of the verses, he gives us some positive. Let's take a look. Let's read those verses, beginning in verse 5. Is it a fast like this which I choose? Here he is. A day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed? Or for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast which I would choose? To loosen the bonds of wickedness? To undo the bands of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free? To break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry? to bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light will break out like a dawn and your recovery speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, and the pointing of a finger and speaking wickedness. If you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you'll be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins and you will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. If because of you, of the Sabbath, you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord 
and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So he says there's some things you need to leave behind, but then that God's chosen fast is expressed with those things that are listed here in verses 5 through 13. Let's take a look at them. These verses are really an expression of what is found in the latter half of chapter uh, 58, verse 4, where it says, you fast to make your voice heard on high. What does that mean? Well, then he expands on it in these verses. What does it mean to make your voice heard on high? How do you do that? Let's take a look. Verse 5. Is this a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself, bowing one's head like a reed, spreading out sackcloth and ashes? Okay. Begins with one humbling himself. When you wear sackcloth and ashes in the Hebrew scriptures, that's talking about recognizing your own shortcomings, recognizing your own sin confessing your sins and seeing how far short you fall of God's standard. Verse 6. Is this not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of yoke and let the press go free? Having confessed your sin, you're fasting to seek to loosen the bounds that hold you back. Perhaps there's some things in your life that you just can't seem to break the bonds just can't seem to get the victory. Mm. There's a good reason to fast. Having confessed your sins, you're now saying, Lord, I need help in this specific area. I need your power. I need you to break the bonds. He goes on in verses 7, 9, and 10. He says, Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh, to remove the yoke from your midst, verse 9, and the pointing of finger and speaking of wickedness, if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, afflicted, verses 7, 9, and 10, where one begins to meet the the needs of those around you. What does Jesus say? Loving your neighbor Verse 13, verse 13, honor the Lord's word and keep his commandments. Now, here in the Hebrew scriptures, one of the things that they were not doing, they were not obeying God's command concerning what? Concerning the Sabbath. He says, now, if you begin to honor my word, if you begin to keep my word. Now, for them, the the issue for them was they just kept on working. It was a normal, you know, it was, it was a Sabbath, but they kept on working. They, they weren't honoring God's word. They were keeping God's word. And he says, now, wouldn't it be good during the time of fasting if you would begin to apply God's word in your life? Now, as I read these things, I thought, you know, that sounds familiar. Sounds something like I've read in the New Testament. Let me read this passage to you. You recognize where I'm coming from, but you don't have to turn to it. Just listen to the words of Jesus and see the parallel that he's making here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You see, there's, there's an interesting parallel between the words of Jesus and the words that the Lord gives Isaiah to speak to the people. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment? Which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said what? Here's the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Is that not what is being expressed right here? And Jesus said, when you do these two things, you fulfill what? All the law and the prophets. What's, what's taught here in Isaiah lines up with the teaching that comes from the New Testament. We'd have to say that fasting is an integral part of drawing near to the Lord when combined with the clear teaching both found in the New Testament and also here in the Hebrew Scriptures in Isaiah 58. So, there's some things that we need to put aside, but there's also things that need to be part, made integral part of our time of making our voice heard on high. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says that if we'll, if our fast is pleasing to the Lord, he will do what? He will reward us. Well, what does that mean? He doesn't say. Now, he says, if uh, you're fasting to please men or be honored by men, you'll only get the reward from them when they think you're so spiritual. But if you do it in a way that's pleasing to God, he will reward you. Now, Jesus doesn't say what the reward is, but guess what? Isaiah 58 gives us some keys. Let's take a look. Scattered throughout verses 8 through 14, you saw them as I read them, scattered throughout those verses are some promises of how the Lord will respond when we fast as directed here in the scriptures. How will God reward us? Here's a couple of thoughts. Now, before we look at those, we have to understand that these rewards are not absolute in nature, absolute in nature. They have to be taken in totality of what's going on in your own personal life. Okay, guys? So they're not absolute because they're oftentimes molded and directed by what the Lord is doing in your life and the issues that you have. But let's take a look at them. There's, there's several. First, verse 8. When you have that kind of fast, then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will will be your rear guard. First thing that we see in verse 8, victory over areas that troubled you. Victory over areas that troubled you. And then notice what he says, and the Lord will be your rear guard. What does that mean? He's going to watch your back. The Lord's going to be watching your back. He's going to keep you from being overwhelmed or surprised by things that suddenly trouble you and had troubled you in the past. Second reward. You're saying, well, 
what are these? What kind of rewards are these? They're all spiritual in nature. But let's look. Verse 9. Verse 9. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. And you will cry and he will say, here I am. Increase vitality to your prayers. <laughs> Increase the vitality to your prayers. You will call and you say, here I am. And he'll answer. Increase vitality to your prayers. Verse 10. If you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. The lifting of, dis- of depression, the lifting of depression and discouragement. Now, a lot of times the reason we're discouraged or depressed is because our focus is on who? On ourselves and our problems. Oh, poor me. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go out and eat worms. No, 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 no. He says, get your focus off yourself. Begin to bring yourself to a place where you're crying out to the Lord and meeting the needs of your neighbors. Maybe finding somebody else who's not quite doing as well as you are and entering into that and entering in and helping them, even as the passage describes in earlier verses. And he says, if you'll do that, I'll lift that discouragement. I'll lift that depression. Oftentimes, the best thing you can do when you're discouraged is go out and help somebody. And combined with fasting, there's a promise there. Verse 11. And the Lord will continually guide you. Wow. Satisfy your desire in scorched places. Give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden. And like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Oftentimes you're wondering, Lord, uh, what direction should I take? Where should I go? Should I do this? Should I do that? It says, verse 11, and the Lord will continually guide you. There'll be a sense of his presence and his guidance. And as I read that, you know, I says, you know, that's, that's a familiar passage. I've seen something like that. Let's see, where did I see that? I saw it, I saw it in, where did I see that? Oh, yes, Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates, he honors God's word. And here's, here it is. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by what? Streams of waters in which his fruit yields season and his leaf does not wither and whatever he does prospers. Same, same idea, same idea there. Like a watered garden like a watered garden. There'd be his guidance and presence in your life. Look at verse 12. From among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. Those among you will be rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called a repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. He will use your gifts and abilities to increase his kingdom. Look at that. You will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. There's, there's an ability where God will open doors for you to be used, for you to use your gifts 
and the heart that you have for the kingdom, he will open those doors. Summing up, look at verse 14. Then you will take the light in the Lord and he will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He will take, you will take delight in the Lord. What is he talking about in all the things that he's talking about? It's talking about spiritual renewal and health. Spiritual renewal and health in your life. That which you're seeking to be more excited about the things of the Lord. To draw you near into his word and in prayer and all the things that you'd really want to do, but oftentimes you just don't have the want to. How do you change? People say to me, well, you know, I know what I, know what I should do, Pastor Neil, but I just don't want to. <laughs> have you ever seen that in yourself? I don't want to. What's he saying here? He's saying here. Then you will take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. For the, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay. So here's some things. He's talking about fasting. Jesus says, don't fast like the hypocrites because they're only concerned about the outward. Okay, that's, that's good, but what else? And so Isaiah gives us, this is the most complete chapter in the whole Bible on this issue of fasting. That's the way we went to it. There's some things that you should leave aside, get rid of. Then there's some things that you should make part of your spiritual life when you're fasting. And then, as a result, there's the rewards, what God will do in your life. I came across a story. I'm going to close with a story. Uh, It's a true story. It's found in the book uh, called True North by Pastor Gary Inrig. True North by Pastor Gary Inrig. And he writes a story about a friend of his called Tom Anderson. It's a true story. And uh, Mr. Anderson was driving down to be with his wife and kids who were at a cottage at the beach and they had been down there a week and he was busy and so he's driving down to be with them. Let me pick up the story. He says, on the way down, I made a vow to myself to uh, the Vacation Beach Cottage. For two weeks, I would try to be a loving husband and father, totally loving, no ifs, ands, or buts. To myself, I had to admit that I had been a selfish husband, that our love had been dulled by my own insensitivity. In petty ways, really chiding Evelyn, his wife, for her tardiness. Insisting on the TV channel I wanted to watch, throwing out day-old newspapers before Evelyn ever had a chance to read them. Well, for two weeks, that would change. And it did. Right from the moment I kissed Evelyn at the door, I said, that new yellow sweater looks great on you. Oh, Tom, she, you noticed, she said, surprised and pleased, maybe even a little shocked. 
After the long drive, I wanted to sit and read. Evelyn suggested a walk on the beach. I started to refuse, but I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. Evelyn's been alone here with the kids all week, and now she wants to be alone with me. So we walked on the beach while the children went out and played. So it went. Two weeks of not calling the investment firm by which I worked as a director, and a visit to a shell museum. Although usually I hate museums, holding my tongue when Evelyn's getting ready made us late for a dinner date. Relaxed and happy, that's how the whole vacation passed. I made a new vow to keep on remembering to really love my wife in very practical ways. There was one thing that went wrong with my experiment, however. On the last night at our cottage, preparing for bed, Evelyn started, stared at me with the saddest expression. What's the matter, I asked her. Tom, she said in a voice filled with distress, do you know something that I don't? Well, what do you mean? Well, that checkup I had several weeks ago. Our doctor, did he tell you something about me? Tom, you've been so good to me. Am I dying? (laughs) It took a moment for me to all to sink in, and then I burst out laughing. No, honey, I said, wrapping wrapping me in her arms, her in my arms. You're not dying. I'm just starting to live. Hmm. Now, there might be something in your life. I don't know what it is. Whether it's interpersonal relationships with your mate or maybe something at work or something at home or something that's just, just hasn't been clicking. Just hasn't been clicking. And we know we need to make some changes. We need to make some changes. We know it. But oftentimes... We just don't have the want to. We just don't seem to have the spiritual strength to make those changes. Could I suggest, might I suggest, that Jesus maybe has a word that he's speaking to you? He's speaking to me. I'll just make that suggestion and then I'll just lay it right in your laps to think about. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we get so convicted sometimes by the way we act. We have to confess that oftentimes our favorite chapter in the Bible is chapter 7 of Roman, where, Romans, where Paul confesses his own failures on a regular basis. It makes us feel so good about ourselves. And yet, um, late at night, as we're laying in bed, thinking over the events of the day, we, we think, wow, that really wasn't the best of all witnesses. And we're so convicted by our own lack of spirituality. And we think, I'll just try harder. I'll try harder to do better. And the answer really isn't us trying harder. Your word says, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Lord, you say, if we'll draw near to you, if we'll seek to make our voice heard on high, you'll hear, you'll enter in. 
to those areas where we, we don't seem to have it and make a diff. Oh, Lord. Look at my own life. See the need in my own life. And I know speaking for all of us here, we really need your power and your strength. May we heed the words of Jesus. May we hear the, heed the words of you as you spoke through Isaiah, your prophet, well over mm, 25, 2600 years ago. Still applicable even today. That's our prayer. Hear our hearts. Draw us in, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.